1: Thank you, JJ, for that awesome introduction. And I also want to thank my listeners from all over the world. It is not just the guests that make this show successful, but it is also the listeners. And I was looking at the stats the other day, and I was so thrilled to see so many new countries come on board. And I want to just share some of those and give a shout out to you from these from these countries who are now listening to Never ever give up hope because hope is a message that everyone, no matter what nationality or where you are, needs to hear. So aside from just the United States and Canada, of course, the United Kingdom, Norway, New Zealand, the Philippines, Belize, Germany, India, Israel, Australia, Iran, France, Denmark, Spain, Sweden, South Africa, Rwanda, Senegal, Ireland, Burundi, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Pakistan, Uganda, Switzerland, Denmark, Bosnia, China, Portugal, Mexico, Uruguay, Belgium, Tunisia, Romania, Morocco, Indonesia, Georgia, Italy, Kenya, and actually many, many more. So that is so exciting. And I am thrilled that we are giving a message that people from all walks of life over the entire globe are anxious to hear. I appreciate each one of you and I appreciate your comments. I appreciate your reviews. It's what makes this a success along with our awesome awesome guests. Today with me is Gretchen Crass. She is a personal trainer, nutritionist, and lifestyle transformation coach who helps people on their journey to become their best self. So not only becoming better, but to become their best. She is a coach for the Special Olympics, and has been featured in Fitness Magazine publications such as Flex Magazine and Oxygen Magazine. Welcome, Gretchen.
2: Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
1: Absolutely. Let's start where I usually like to start, and that is... Anybody that I have found that has a real intense story and a passion to help people such as yourself usually had a rough beginning. So tell us about your childhood. I know it was not an easy childhood and you've had to deal with some serious issues. So can you tell us about that, Gretchen?
2: Sure, sure. I'd love to, um, I'd love to share that with all of you that are listening and hopefully um some of you will probably be able to relate to me and know that um you're if you've struggled you're not the only person going through what you've gone through uh, as a young child, I grew up in in a family and we lived in a farm and moved around and at age six, we left the farm and moved to a regular town. My dad went back into the corporate field and playing out with my friends with my girlfriend and there weren't a lot of girls in the neighborhood and we're you know i was a tomboy i was an athlete uh and there was an incident that happened that honestly i you don't you're not prepared for when you're six years old uh and it's something that uh, i will never forget i was uh we went over to a friend's house to go into the, and we wanted to get in the tree house all the guys, all the boys were in the tree house and my girlfriend went up first and she had an older brother that was in this group of boys. So she was allowed in the tree house. I wasn't allowed in the tree house. Uh, it, unless I took off my, my shorts and my underwear.
1: Mm.
2: And you know, at, at six, it's not normal. That's not right. And I, I remember saying this isn't right but I want to I want to be with my mm, friend. Right. So, what did I do? Took off my um my shorts, my underwear, and they let me in. Uh and one of the boys started touching me in a very inappropriate way. Um and they had my shorts and underwear. And I was crying. Uh, my girlfriend was yelling at her brother, you know, leave her alone, leave her alone. You know, and it was, I don't remember how many people were in this treehouse, but it was two, the two of us, my girlfriend and I, and I want to say at least four or five older boys.
1: And how old were they?
2: Uh, 10 and up, ages 10 and up. Okay, okay. Um, And they finally gave me my shorts and my underwear back. And I just remembered as badly as I wanted to get in that tree house. I wanted to get out of it just as badly. Aww. And I went home and I didn't, I didn't say anything to my mom. And I had a younger, I'm the oldest of three. I was six. So I had a brother that was four and then a brother that was um two or actually one and a half. And, I didn't say anything because I I didn't even know what to say, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and how it all came out was that night getting a bath. My mom drew the bath for my brother and I. And she was in the bathroom and she said, Gretchen, why are your underpants on inside out? I didn't even realize oh. that I didn't put them on the right way. And... I just thought that moment of, oh, oh, oh. And I remember saying, mom, mom, I, I had to take off my underwear to go into the tree house. The boys wouldn't let me in. And at that moment, probably like <laughs> a child's worst, one of their worst nightmares happened because my mom yelled and screamed at me. Aww. Why would I ever let somebody do that? Oh, why, why? What was wrong with me? How could I do that? And I remember thinking, you're my mom. This isn't my fault, mom. Aw. You know, and I got punished
1: for it. Can you remember what that felt like?
2: <laughs> like the person that... Brought me into this world that was supposed to protect me and and guard me and and just be there and make sure that nobody could harm me, just turned their back on me and wasn't even present. Mm. I felt so alone, and I also felt like if my own mom doesn't love me then and want to protect me, then why would anybody else
1: really so all those emotions. From such a young child as a result of that incident.
2: Yep. And from that day forward, I did everything I could on a daily basis to win my mom's love. Hmm. And being a firstborn, I was an overachiever, a perfectionist. 'Cause I figured if I was the best I would get acknowledgement. Of course. And there was a that was a way of controlling things, or I thought I could control things that way. And those behaviors <laughs> led to other other problems down the line because of not of not getting therapy, of not dealing with The emotion and everything that I felt. Um, And my mom not standing up for me.
1: Was guilt a factor?
2: Oh, sure. I felt what I didn't know then that I know now was toxic shame and toxic guilt.
1: And did you figure out a way at that young age before you became to the realization of it, actually, did you figure out a way to cope? What were your coping skills when you were little besides trying to um, do everything, you know, really good for your mom's um.
2: acknowledgement of me? Because everybody wants to be acknowledged. Everybody wants it. Just acknowledgement that we're here, that we're present. Um, The coping skills that I had were not healthy coping skills. I didn't I didn't have healthy coping skills. My coping skills were stuff it in the backpack and forget about it or stuff it in my chest and we just we just forget about it like it's gone. And that um you know it worked as a child or I thought it worked. Oh, I don't think about it and then the same kind of instance happened again.
1: How old were you? I was 10. Okay. Same group of boys?
2: One of the boys from that group. Yes. Yep. But this was just, it was just one, it was two boys and I was by myself. I didn't have my girlfriend with me. Okay. And uh, the, the kid that uh, that approached me and grabbed me and Put his hand down my pants and did things, like I said, that are not supposed to be done to a 10 year old, let alone anyone, especially when you say no, especially when you say no. Uh He didn't he was a problem child in the neighborhood. Um And that doesn't that's not an excuse, but just mm-hmm.
1: set an observation
2: at the scenario. And at first uh. It was my other neighbor who was a good friend of mine. The the other boy was. At first, he kind of thought it was funny what was going on. And he didn't realize that I started crying. There were tears, but they didn't make any noise. Aw. Because I didn't even know what to say. Yeah. Because this was the second time. And, you know, I thought that my mom would have gone to the parents and stood up for me the first time. And she didn't. And she didn't tell my father either. So the second time, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Well, you know, am I a bad person? You know, why Why is this happening to me? Uh, you know, and you at that time, probably I probably thought all bad thoughts about myself. You know, and I broke free and I ran and I just ran. And I ran and I ran and I ran. (laughs) I ran like Forrest Gump. Um, (laughs) Because I didn't know what else to do. And running to me was like, I'm free. This didn't Mm. just happen to me. I'm free. And that was a way of trying to erase it. But it's a scar. You know, and scars are scars. They don't go away. We just... I have to learn how to view them differently and deal with them. And I didn't tell my mom the second time.
1: Really? Nope. How sad that you weren't able to do that. But you, probably were, you were protecting yourself, too.
2: Yep, because I didn't want to be punished and ridiculed over something where I knew I was a victim. And I knew that it wasn't my fault. A part of me did. Um and, and I didn't want that my mom to deny me again.
1: Did you have any younger sisters?
2: No. Okay. So now had, I do, but had, not at the time.
1: Okay. Okay. I was just wondering if you felt like you had to protect them is what I was going to ask you, but
2: um, I could have thought that I was going to protect my brothers. You know, we're not going to stir things up and Uh say anything, but I just, I didn't want my mom to yell at me again. I knew what would happen and there wasn't love or empathy or compassion or nurturing. I, I would have been punished.
1: Let's fast forward for just a moment and then we'll come back again. But now as an adult, and everything that you have endured and learned, has there come a place when you where you have been able to forgive your mother? Yes. Okay. So yep. that's the bottom line, and that it took some and time.
2: It took time, and uh, as I grew closer with God, uh, forgiveness is a necessity. Um, If you don't forgive anger and bitterness, that kills. And, you know, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect.
1: Absolutely.
2: My mom is my mom. I've learned to accept her for who she is. And that, you know, we're a product of our our role models and how we were raised. And she was obviously raised a certain way. And however that was, you know, it was different than the way the typical, the typical Mm -hmm. mom that I envisioned. The mom that I wanted to be my, my mom to be. And I accept her for who she is. And I don't expect anything.
1: That's that's the healthiest way, isn't it?
2: Yep, it's. I um, you don't
1: have letdowns then. <laughs>
2: nope, it's the hundred percent zero principle. Mm-hmm. You give everything and expect nothing in return.
1: Have you applied that same principle in other areas in your life?
2: Pretty much everything in my life.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's back up again because I just wanted to, you know, ask that about your mom at that point. So now back to you're ten years old, and you are once again squashing. You know, the incident that happened, burying it deep inside. So now continue, please.
2: So obviously, there's, and I'm not at this point realizing what's going on inside of me. Um, There's a lot of, as an older adult looking down at myself at that age, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of resentment. Uh, and so many other emotions that I didn't even know how to deal with. Uh, And when I was 11, my parents separated. And it was not a friendly separation or divorce. Uh, We would go to North Carolina every Thanksgiving. That's where my dad's family lived. And this Thanksgiving... My dad said, okay, come on, let's go. And this was right before they separated. My mom said, I'm not going. So my two younger brothers said, okay, dad, I'll go. And of course I wanted to go. I love going to see my family. And my mom said to me, well, Gretchen, if you go I'm I'm here by myself. That's not fair.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: So I'm caught in the middle of, I want to be with my dad. I'm daddy's little girl. I'm very close to my father. Uh, And but yet I don't want to leave my mom because I don't want. And even though she's done and has upset me and disappointed me, I don't want to leave her because she's my mom. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they pull out of the driveway to head to North Carolina, my mom says, Gretchen, get ready to pack. We're moving.
1: Oh, my word.
2: I had no idea. Where are we going to go well what about dad well what about my brothers john and chris what's going to what what do you mean you know and i think as a child you know your family your parents provide you security and your house is supposed to be the safest place for you when it's just like okay we're leaving you know i'm not telling you where we're going but we're moving someplace else and I don't like, am I going to see my brothers? I mean, all these thoughts are going through my head. Mm-hmm. You know, there weren't cell phones back there. So it's not like I could have gotten on a cell phone and called my dad and said, please come back. Please come back. Um, I, I didn't. And here I was at 11, left to help my mom pack enough belongings and move. That was the beginning of, I would say, Probably one of the hardest things having to deal with besides being the, the molest, molested was as a child going through a divorce that it's not a friendly divorce by any means. And you have no control over anything. You, you can't control anything. And that was obvious because, you know, uh, here we go. We're going to move. Yes. And I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to deal with things. I missed my dad. You know, when my brothers came back, they came and they, you know, we all three of us siblings lived together with my mom and my dad was about two miles down the road. But nobody teaches you or tells you how you're supposed to deal with this. And as a kid, what I learned is children, when we're children, we're like a baby bird. And a baby bird will do whatever for survival. Mm-hmm. It will do whatever it, it wants to do to get nurtured. It's going to make the loudest noises. You're going to try to get out of the nest, whatever, to get mom's attention. I did, you know, then I, I had other issues from my parents' divorce, you know, that caused, you know, some more upset in my life. That was what led me to be, I couldn't control my parents. I couldn't control them getting back together. I couldn't control where I was going to live, where I was going to go to school. Could we stop moving from place to place? But I could control what went in my mouth. And that's when I became anorexic at age 16.
1: Okay, hold that thought for a moment. We'll talk about that's a whole other issue. But I want to ask you, When you were six and again at 10, was there any reason why you chose not to tell your father what had happened, especially in the light that you were close to him?
2: I was so afraid um, because of my mother's reaction that I was going to get the same reaction from my father. Okay. And I I didn't want that. I was, and my father is a very stern man, so I didn't want to see my dad angry. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I, I didn't, so that just wasn't an option for me, you know, in my thought, in my thinking then, and that was that was the only reason.
1: You probably didn't want to disappoint him either.
2: Yeah, because you're, you know, daddy's little girl. Of course, you, you want him to be proud of you, not not look at you. In a different way, or I thought he would look at me differently because of this, you know, these incidents.
1: Do you find that same scenario today? Like, I know that you are, you mentor teens, and do you find that that's the same today, or is it a different way of thinking with so much awareness towards, you know, exposing these kind of situations?
2: I think it goes both ways. I think that, um, I think that it's hard when for instance if a child has has had a tragic event happen to them and they try to talk about it and they're not accepted and they're not given compassion and empathy then I think it becomes a a fear of well why would I use my voice again Cause it didn't work for me the first time. Why am I going to do it again? And that's so I, but then I also think on the other side, on the flip side, then you do have people that because of more awareness, because of different counseling and therapy out, therapy out there, that there are some children, you know, there are children that will speak and that will cry for help you know, that, you know, but I, I think that every person's way of crying for help is different. And we can cry for help in a way that's not healthy. I would say sitting and really resonating and thinking about what, what we're talking about this moment. Parents, they work 60 hour weeks. They don't work a 40 hour work week. Times have changed. People don't have family dinners the way they used to have them people sit at the dinner table and they're on their cell phone not even having a conversation about their day's work or if their child's talking to them and I know I've I've been a I'm guilty of it too that when my daughter was talking to me I was on my cell phone you know and at that moment I could have missed something that she was getting ready to tell me that could have been the most important thing to her but I was too wrapped up in my phone. And sometimes that, that little thing can devastate a child.
1: Remember as um, when my kids were little, that that was not an option in our home. And looking back now, I am so thankful that we have always sat down at the dinner table together. We never allowed the TV or any kind of electronic device. And hopefully, my children will, and I have seen it so far, will carry that. With their children as well because it's a message here is so important that we really need to tap into this we can ask our children not to bring their cell phones to the table we can even if it's only twice a week no matter what our schedules are as far as working parents you know to make that time because you can never get that time back once it is gone it is gone forever and so you brought up a very legitimate point in that you wish you know that you had done that right but of course, to encourage parents, we can do that today. Absolutely. And it's a matter of choice. And I encourage you, like I said, even if it's too drastic to do it every day of the week, but to do it every Friday night or, you know, twice a week and maybe let that grow into when dinner time is dinner time, it is for family time and some of the gr- best memories I have of my kids growing up are those family times because after dinner they go their separate ways you know and if you don't have them for those few minutes a day I mean we miss out on so much so I encourage you all parents out there that are listening to make the concentrated effort It's not overwhelming. It can be done. So anyway, I just wanted to put that plug in there because it's, I believe, such a serious issue that you did bring up. And thank you, Gretchen, for that. Sure, sure. Okay, so let's fast forward again. You were, we're now 16 years old and you have decided that you can control your life by controlling what you put into your mouth. So now take it from there.
2: Yes, so that was, you know, that was my way of of coping with, can't change my parents situation, can't change other things in my life, considering my, you know, with the divorce and, and moving around, but I could make myself feel like I had some kind of control by what I put in my mouth. I could choose to eat or I could choose not to eat. And I was always, always an athlete, always exercising, always eating healthy and, and, you know, Probably looking back, if I'd really analyzed certain things, certain behaviors in that were not all that healthy, that was my way of coping. And we moved again. And uh, as a freshman, I moved. Uh, we moved to Pennsylvania. And I was a three, um, I played three sports a, a year, field hockey, basketball, and softball. And my mom uh, is drinking very, she's an alcoholic. Oh. Mm. Is, you know, waking up, I, I, I swear she was drunk when she woke up and she would be at work and, you know, say, OK, Gretchen, you're going to have to leave school during one of your periods to come home, a free period to come home and put in a pot roast. And I knew that if I didn't come home and put in that pot roast at one o'clock or my lunch, then my brothers and I wouldn't have that family dinner that we yeah. had growing up. All I wanted to do was make life as normal as it had been Aww. for my brothers when my parents were together because my mom wasn't present. She checked out.
1: Was there a, this a problem earlier that you noticed as a young child or did this happen later, like when you were a teenager and you started? I think,
2: to- you know, looking back on it, I think she checked out when things were tough, like me, me being sexually um, molested. She checked out. Okay. You know, she checked out on, she she didn't want to deal with it. She just went into complete denial. You know, besides the denial and avoidance, then came the alcohol. And my mom was not a happy drunk. She was the exact opposite. The moment she walked in the door, we swore she drank at work or drank coming home or something because she seemed crocked coming in the door. Then it was, she was gone. I mean, stumbling down. Drink, oh. yelling, screaming, and never acknowledging myself. She was completely different the way she treated my brothers. My brothers got money to do whatever, go to the movies, buy new sports equipment. Gretchen, you want something? You better go work for it. At age eight, going to nine, I was a nanny for three kids, a one-day-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. Oh. And That was what I did all summer long. But she I didn't like what she was doing to me then. you know if I wanted gas in my car, I, I worked. I worked every Saturday, every Sunday when I didn't have a field hockey game. I was working in a deli. every Sunday I worked. I babysat on weeknights for money. You know, I had to put gas in my, I was very grateful that I got you know a car pass from my uncle, but I had to pay for everything. or my brothers just it was. She handed them cash or credit cards. Uh. and I didn't understand it. Then as I got older, she instilled in me a work ethic and an understanding of money that you only get to spend a dollar one. And look how hard you had to work for it. So you better really think, is this really what you want to spend it on?
1: That's an excellent point. And I know there are a lot of parents that will instill that in their children so it is not necessarily a negative but in your case it wasn't fair because she wasn't doing the same thing to your brothers
2: i thank her for that now to this day i always thank her for that you know we may have had our disagreements but i thank you for this because that shaped and molded that part of me that was a fighter and a doer and an achiever And I'm going to go after the things that I want with the trying times, come the happy times, come the good, you know, the good thing. So um, I'm grateful for that.
1: So how did the um, how severe was your anorexia and how many years and
2: my sophomore year during field hockey season? So it was in the fall. I started out weighing one hundred and thirty eight pounds. I'm five nine. I just decided to hmm, let's lose some weight. I went from 138 pounds down to 104 pounds at 5'9". It's by the grace of God, this all came up because I was wasting away in front of my mom. She didn't do anything. And I was starving for attention. I was literally, that was the unhealthy way of crying out for help. I was starving for attention. But in my room, I had made a calendar on a piece of paper And I had it taped on my wall. So right out in the open for my mom to see Monday, you know, September 2nd, breakfast, zero, lunch, zero, dinner, zero. There was a whole month worth that written down. And I wrote down what I exercised besides field hockey practice, went out and ran two miles at 7:30 p.m. Then ran out went out and ran another two miles at 9 p.m. All this was right out there besides my clothes are falling off me my hair was falling out. Um, I was sick not I was sick in many ways not just you know from malnutrition. How and long did
1: this last?
2: This lasted until the day after my 16th birthday from September I guess it started in August until March then I went into the hospital.
1: So you didn't basically you didn't eat.
2: I would eat, if I ate anything, I would eat a hard pretzel, maybe uh, a tablespoon of peanut butter, um, or I would eat a, a piece of candy, chocolate or something. And I found that the candy, because of the sugar, gave me energy. I didn't have much energy, obviously, from, from not eating much food. Uh, but I also shamed myself. When I did eat. And I. Really? Oh, horribly. Gretchen, that was not a good day. I can hear the voice in my head. Gretchen, that was not a good day. Look what you did. There what was were a you lot hoping, of.
1: You were hoping to accomplish attention. That was your motivation. Yep. Okay. All right. And did you accomplish that when you ended up in the hospital?
2: Not for my mom. I still didn't learn. And it took me a long time to learn. It wasn't until. In my 30s, 37, actually, that my mom wasn't going to be the mom that I wanted her to be.
1: Wow, that's a long time before you could come to that revelation, right?
2: Yep. I didn't want to accept it. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to believe it. Um, Because for me, that was a mom, you know, a mom is a loving, nurturing person, Mm -hmm. you know, that carries and, and you, and being a mom myself, you, you carry that your child in your, in you. And there is no greater feeling than that. And I couldn't understand. You're my mom. You know, why could you not be there for me? And I kept giving her another chance, giving her another chance, giving her another chance. Come on. One of these times it's going to be different. And I was just setting myself up like, you know, insanity, doing the same thing again, expecting a different result. That's right. That's what I was doing and you know and that's and in the hospital I wasn't where I wasn't in the hospital that I wanted to go through go to uh my dad and my stepmom and I I wanted to go to a place that specialized in eating disorders mm. that was a women's only facility my mom didn't want that so I went into uh place called Philadelphia Psychiatric Center. And I was on the ward where all teens, of all teens, and these were teens that had been molested, raped, tried to commit suicide. Mm. And it was in the city. And I had never been around or exposed to anything like this.
1: And it certainly mm-hmm. didn't give you the, the help that you needed.
2: No, nope. I, I had to gain a half a pound a day. And every meal that I ate, somebody was there watching me and marking down what percentage of the meal I I ate. If I didn't gain a half a pound a day, I couldn't read, write, talk on the phone. I couldn't go to any activities. I basically just would sit in my room. To me... That's not a healthy way because no. t- someone's just going to eat just so they get privileges.
1: Right, exactly.
2: It's not getting down. If you don't get to the core, the gut of what the problem is, that's going to it's going to surface again and again and again.
1: So, is that what happened, or were they a- were you able to finally get help?
2: Not in there. No, I didn't get. I ate. I had to get a goal weight. I had to weigh 128 pounds to get out of there, and I ate to get the heck out of there. And then when I got out, I did the same. You know, I watched my weight again. I lost some weight. I didn't starve myself the way that I did before because I did never want to go back to a place. The issues that caused that were never addressed. That's what continued. You know, if we don't don't acknowledge something and if we don't take ownership to it, then we can't change. Mm -hmm. And that's the first step is acknowledgement and ownership then we can change. Well, none of those feelings, emotions during this whole time period, they weren't acknowledged. I didn't own them. You know, I didn't know how angry I was. I didn't know how hurt I was. You know, I would go to therapy for a little bit and things would be good and everything would be great, but never did it go, I was I willing or, you know, or with a therapist, did we go to the core? It wasn't so many, 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 many years later, you know, that it was, okay, we have to deal with these things because if we don't, you are on a path of destruction.
1: Speaking of that, you came to a place as an adult that you tried to, that you attempted suicide. Was that, were you still in the same mindset that you were back when you were a teenager or was this a different set of circumstances?
2: This was a different set of cir- circumstances. I had come to the point of dealing with the body dysmorphia and the eating. And I resolved that through years of therapy in my late 20s, early 30s. We dealt with the emotions and everything, and I was good. And I was so good that I went from being an anorexic at 16 to then getting on stage as a bodybuilder at 36, 37. Okay. Eating 5,000 calories a day. (laughs) That's quite a switch. Yeah, one extra there, and no, it wasn't just from you know there was a nor a normal, I say, um, you know, period before it was just something that I wanted to do. Um, but yes, yeah, so I didn't have that. I finally was able to not ask my husband because I literally would ask him, and God bless him for putting up with me, literally probably ten times a day. Do I look fat? Do I look, fat? do I look, fatness? Do wow. I look fatness? And he never complained. Never said, why do you keep asking me that? All those women out there that are listening right now, I know I know some of you can relate to what I'm talking about. And there is that evil mirror in our eyes that we look in the mirror and we see a different vision than what somebody else sees. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And all I can say is, you know, the mind is a powerful thing and we need to use it for the greater good, not against ourselves. There is hope you can change. And it will be okay. we just have to do our work. It's work. I so did my brought, work. what
1: brought you to that point then where you if you had done all this work, where did you come at what place to want to kill yourself?
2: i did I did something that I didn't even that I would even think of doing, especially being a a, a believer, Jesus Christ is my savior. I broke one of the Ten Commandments, and I had an affair, and I left my husband and my daughter. For this gentleman thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence when I knew it really wasn't and needed to water the grass that was on my side of the fence. I felt I couldn't forgive myself for that. And I thought that I was the only woman that did this. I was the only person that broke up a family that when it went and broke wedding vows and, you know, committed this heinous crime, a part of me knew that, you know, well, God God forgives you, Gretchen. You repented. And but I really didn't understand the depth of that, accepting Christ as my savior and all. And I couldn't forgive myself. My husband and I reconciled. And during this time period of change and everything, the family's broken up and dealing with so many things, I I couldn't, I was just stuck. I was so stuck in what I did. I would try to say, it's going to be okay, Gretch. It's going to be okay. You're given a second chance here. I became self-consumed, I would say, because, and I was depressed. And I think a lot of depression is a selfish, it's a selfish disease. Mm. um, Because it's all about you. It was all about me. I can't deal with this pain. I can't deal with this. And it's just better off if, if I'm not here, you know, my husband and my daughter, they'll be fine. I wasn't thinking, wow, Gretchen, look how you felt when you didn't have a mom. How do you right. think your daughter's going to feel? I didn't even think that way. So two days before my 39th birthday, I, I said, to God, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I can't take it anymore. And I started taking pills, a lot of them. And this continued on for a day and a half. By the grace of God, I'm here talking to everyone who's listening. Because I really shouldn't be here, but the man upstairs, my heavenly Father, was watching out for me because that night I saw Satan, the evil one, and I don't wish that anyone, anyone ever sees him. and this is when i was I was taken by ambulance to the hospital, and they gave me charcoal to vomit to try to you know get the substance out. They gave me an antidote to have a different effect on the drugs that I had taken. When I got tra- I got transferred to another hospital and this was at two something, three o'clock in the morning, I got moved into a room with a roommate. She's sound asleep, obviously, it's three o'clock in the morning. And I go to get in bed and I fell asleep. And I just remember seeing this this masked figure, like a charade mask in a black cloak with a hood up and fire behind him and black claws. And he's looking at me, clawing at me like a lion would or a tiger would, while they're going to grab their prey and, you know, come with me. And I kept turning and wincing, you know, as if like you're, someone's trying to hit you and you you know, you're wincing back. And I, no, 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 I'm going with God. I love God and Jesus is my savior. And I didn't realize I was apparently screaming because that next morning at six o'clock, my roommate and I wake up and she says, well, hi, how are you? I'm such and such. And said, hi. And she said, are you okay? And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you were screaming last night. I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And that's when I knew Gretchen, you were given a blessing and by God's grace and his mercy, you are here. This is going to be, there aren't all these lives. So you better dig deep and go to your core and start at your foundation and do your work because each and every one of us is unique and we all have God-given gifts and talents. And if I was to take my life, I'm not sharing my gifts with the world for the glory to go to God. And I know, and I said, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. I'll, I, here we go. Let's do this. From that day forward, it's been a process. And And you've learned a
1: lot in that process, haven't you?
2: I have learned so much. And I'm so grateful that I've learned it because I wouldn't be who I am right now, still transforming to become my best self had I not gone through this process. Now, you said that
1: you were a transformation coach. So tell us what that is and how you apply what you personally learned. I'm assuming that's... That's what you are helping people with is because of your own experience.
2: Sure, sure. I believe it's.
1: So what is a transformation coach? Let's start with that.
2: A transformation coach is someone who is going to be there to guide you and inspire you and help you deal with things in your life that lives that have held you back or um, that you've struggled with that you haven't dealt with and released and let go basically you're looking at all of your life you know the physical the emotional the mental your spiritual all parts of your life and saying okay let's work on all these and how and financial how are we going to become the best at each one and where where do we need more help in one area than maybe not in another and it's just a way of you know someone has to be very committed you have to want to do this, you know, and it has to be you wanting it from you in the inside, not because your husband wants you to change or your boyfriend wants you to change or Susie or Jack or, your, you know, your girlfriend or this person on here is changing her life. So I'm going to change mine now. And, and I'm the first to say, you know, why, why are you here? Why do you want my help? What is it that you want? Well, my husband says I need to do this. Okay, well, you know what? We're not going to become our best self until we want to do that for ourselves. And I'm not a person, you know, I would love to help you, but let's come back when you're ready for you. You know, this is a it's a life changing thing. Um, it's not easy. It's very tough, but it makes you stronger uh, and you become who, who you're supposed to be. A lot of people don't even know what their purpose is in life. So many people in today's society are on that hamster wheel, just going and going. They don't know why they're going. They don't know where they're going. They're just going for survival. Well, how about going for your purpose and going for your passion and something that you love, you know, something that going for that gift that God instilled in you, you know, and it takes a Sometimes it takes a lot to get to that point to, to know what your purpose is and to really understand. Like I say to people, do you know who you are? Yeah. Do you know your true self? And can you be truly honest and say, I do? Because I think many of us, the moment that question is asked, do you know your true self? Sure, I do. And then you sit and think, because I think our natural reaction is, yeah, I know my true self. Do you really know your true self? And that's where the mindfulness comes in. Don't, you know, that's not, you know, a lot of people don't practice that or in tune with themselves in that way. Um, So as a coach, I'm, I share my circumstances, what I've, what the good, the bad, the ups and the downs in my life, how I how I dealt with them. I, I help people with coping skills in order to change and do. And I'm a real person. You know, I'm not gonna feed you anything that's not real. I'm honest. I've been humbled, humiliated, and it's okay. And if I can share all these mistakes that I've made in order to make a difference in someone else's life and hopefully maybe they can relate or feel they're not alone. Or And, oh, somebody else gets it while somebody else is like me or somebody else is this, then I'll do it over and over and over again. You know, everybody deserves chance. Everybody deserves respect. Everybody deserves love. And And
1: that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Everyone (laughs) deserves a chance. They deserve respect and they deserve love. Very well put. Thank you. Okay, so go on. So this is what what you're basically encouraging. Now, now, do you um, coach adults? Do you coach teens? What, um, because you had mentioned at some point that you are a mentor for teens as well.
2: I have worked with all different ages of of children, children, adults. Um, You know, there wasn't really a all different. I've dealt with. To kids that have suffered, younger children that have suffered from depression, issues with anxiety, you know, to a professional athlete, to a soccer mom, to a doctor, whomever it is, if, you know, you want to, if I can help you and, and, you know, you have to, there has to be a blind faith and a blind trust when That's you're true. doing this.
1: Right, right.
2: Um, and you have to communicate. And we, we have to be able to talk. If you don't share things with me, then I don't know things, you know, um, and that has to be that right fit. And for those of you who are listening, if you do go to therapy or have a coach and you just don't feel that it's right, make sure that you find that person that you can connect with because it truly can make or break your scenario and your transformation.
1: And that's what happened with you, isn't it? You had to find somebody yep. who could listen, somebody who could help.
2: and you know, I, you have to feel, for me, I had to feel safe Mm-hmm. Um, because of my past. I had to feel safe. In order for me to be vulnerable, I had to feel safe. And that's where all of us <laughs> have to go, to that place of vulnerability. And a lot of people don't like it. Because you're out there. But that's why I say go out on the limb because that's where the fruit is.
1: (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Go out on the limb because that's where the fruit is. Okay.
2: It is. It's not right at the stump. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not right close to the body. It's not right there. And that's where the faith comes in. I put my faith and trust in God. I know that's where the fruit is. That's
1: right. Well, to sum it up, is there anything else that you might want to share or capsulize that maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about? Or is is that basically what you want to say, what you said already?
2: I would just say, you know, to everybody listening that um, that each and every one of you can achieve and do anything your heart desires. It just starts with belief in yourself. And it starts with you. Once you have that belief, anything, anything is possible. And we know God makes the impossible possible. And your dreams can become a reality. And when times get tough and you're tested or you're struggling during the trials, and maybe you're thinking, I'm going to give up. I can't, I can't deal with this. Inside of you is a treasure chest. And it has all the tools you need to achieve anything you want. And sometimes we just need to get out that shovel and we just need to dig deeper and dig deeper and dig deeper till you get to that chest. Because everything you need is inside of you. Just press forward. No, you're not the only one struggling. There are other people out there and we're all blessed with a voice. And if things have happened to you that you're afraid to talk about, Please just use that voice. For me, almost 30 years, I didn't have a voice. And that was probably one of the most detrimental things. And now that I have my voice and I found it, oh, my gosh, there is just the most amazing feeling.
1: Well, thank you, Gretchen. You brought up some very strong and legitimate points. And one of the things I appreciated was that you shared your mistakes You exposed your failures and you shared your pain. And this is what we need to hear, as you said right in the beginning, because this is where many of us can relate. And when you can relate and know that someone else has suffered what you have suffered, they possibly can teach you something that you need to know to help you on your journey. And that's exactly I felt your pain even though it's been many years since you experienced a lot of these things, you have, the pain is there. It's It's healed, but it has. you have gained much from going through that. And that's the message I think all of us who have experienced a lot of pain is it turns into a passion. And that passion is to help others, others who are going through, have gone through, or need that word of encouragement to dig deep into our treasure chest because what we need is really there. And you many little tidbits that you shared today, I made a note of and I will put on your uh your webpage when we when we uh, share the broadcast and I know that you will touch many hearts just as you have touched mine. So I thank you Gretchen. I thank you for sharing from the very pit of your being and exposing yourself and also showing that we don't have to stay there that tomorrow is a new day today is a new day That's right and so I thank you gretchen for for that and I really appreciate um and all your, all your links, all your uh, contact information for anybody that wants to ask questions or find out more about you will be available to them as well. So, again, I thank you, and God bless you, Gretchen.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Carol, very much for this um, opportunity, I'm very, very grateful. The glory goes to God. Thank you, and goodbye. Thank you.